You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Well, it's great to be back together. Uh, one of the things that I've learned in this time is that one of my favorite moments is to uh, be in the word of God together with you. And so it's a challenge when I stand in this place and uh, God has spoken to me and challenged me and convicted me and even uh, continued to transform my heart, uh, but I stand in an empty room. So just know that my heart is with you, brothers and sisters, and also know that I believe we should take comfort in the fact that God still speaks to us and he's still with us no matter where we are. Now, we've been journeying through the book of Colossians, and even last week for Resurrection Sunday on Easter, we had an opportunity to celebrate and to change and to move our time to the morning and to look at how God yet again lands us on a text of Scripture that still points to the very calendar date of where we are. We don't have to manipulate God's Word. Somehow, He has just shown Himself faithful time and time again to put us into the place that He wants us to be. Um, and to do that by his own providence. And so I trust that even though there's not a celebratory uh, holiday that falls on the calendar today, the place that we find ourselves in the word is exactly what he wants for us. Now, if you are following with me, you know that we have been looking at this new life and, and really looking at what the impact of the resurrection has been on the life of the Christian. To say that there's uh, these things that now come uh, out of us and these things that we even add to ourselves and these things that we put away and put off and things that we put on is really the call that Colossians 3 has brought us to. We've been looking at uh, what I would call the new creation. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, if any man or woman is in Christ, then they're a new creation. And it says, behold, all the old things have passed away and the new things have come. That behold means that I can actually see the change. And I think that as we've gone through Colossians chapter 3, we've been able to behold a new perspective We've been able to behold what it means that we ought to have uh, a, a new attitude and, and a new lifestyle. We've even seen ourselves as a new humanity. We've seen that we have a new life and a new love. And today we're going to see that we have a, or we could even say a set of new priorities. In Colossians 3 verses 12 to 17, which is something that we've broken down into two different sermons Paul's been teaching about the clothing of a believer as he referred to these actions and attitudes that we are to put on as we uh, kind of replace the behaviors that we had in the, in the past. And so it's not behavior modification, but it is a good form, I would say, of replacement theology. We believe that you should put stuff off, and it's not just that you take it off, but you also put on other things. Ephesians chapter 4 would actually say things like, or it begs the question, when is a thief no longer a thief? And it really just doesn't say that once he stops stealing, he is. It says when he no longer steals, 
but he begins to work hard with his own hands and becomes generous. He puts off old actions and he replaces them with the new. That's what Paul has been calling us to. And in this text, he said, believers should put on clothes of compassion and compassionate hearts, I should say, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And he says, as you're putting those things on, be ready and get yourselves ready for the occasion. The occasion is that you're going to have to do some bearing with one another. You have to do some long suffering. You're going to have to do some forgiving uh, one another, but bear in your mind the fact that Christ has forgiven you, and I want you to walk that out and bend it out towards each other. And so, as we've reflected on this, we've kind of seen our new position and, and our new place, and really what we're looking at is a new society, a people who have a new perspective, a people who, who, who have a new lifestyle, a, a new humanity, even, right? And, and it's just, yeah, we're, we're all together new, but uh, as, as a whole, it, break, it makes up a new society. And in that society, just like every other society, there are priorities. Sometimes we call it a culture. Culture is just the shared values and perspectives of any group of people. It could be a soccer team. It could be a whole nation. And in the new United Nations, which is the church, he's called us to new priorities. Here's what we'll see as we look with Paul at these things. Paul gives us three priorities. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ be rich. And lastly, he says, let the name of Christ be represented. In everything that you do, and here's what we'll see, as we should see, you know, as we take these one by one, we should see that as a new creation and a new society that is now united in Christ, you have a new set of priorities that honor Christ, that glorify God, and that build up the church. I want to read our text of scripture and then pray and we'll jump into our sermon. Colossians chapter 3, we're in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, I pray that as we look at these three priorities, really these three commandments that have been given to us, the new covenant people of God, your children who have been born again into a living hope, I pray, God, that your spirit would give us the power we need to resist our own tendencies, to turn away from our own comforts, and to uh, let go of the things that so easily delay us from being quick to obey what you've called us to. Lord, we definitely want to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as a new humanity that is in a new society, God, whatever is a priority for you and for him under his reign, those things must rule our hearts. So I ask you, Father, that your spirit would just be moving among our church, that you be moving in our neighborhoods, and that you be moving, Lord, all across the land, really, 
Even as you send us in various different places, some of our, 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 our partners in the church are now moving to uh, the south, Lord, and leaving this week. I pray that you would just continue to send out more workers into your field, and we know that we're going to be built up for your service because we understand what your word says to us, and we're quick to obey it. So we need you, God. Lead us and teach us. Now, as I decrease, Father, I pray that you would increase in these moments, increase your son, the Holy Spirit, magnify the son, the Lord Jesus, and change us all. In his name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we are going to look at is that he says, let the peace of Christ rule. That's in verse number 15. And it's just, I mean, it literally are, those are the words that are on the text. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We're being called to a peace, not just a peace that says there's an absence of conflict, but no, there is a a priority that I have for the well-being of others and the maintaining of our unity and our togetherness and the peace, the peace of Christ. I want to give that away, and I, I do so because I see the peace of Christ. I've experienced the peace of Christ, and in my heart, I'm so full of the peace of Christ that I want others, everyone else, to experience the same thing. In your hearts, that, that the command's central, right? The, the mind and the heart are synonymous in the, in the scriptures. When he says this, he's talking about on the very inside of you, not because you do some behavior modification and you just put on the outside or the, the outward uh, new behaviors. No, from the very heart, from the inside with a genuineness, let the peace of Christ rule. I call it the peace of Christ because Romans in chapter 5 has already told us what we've received in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number one reads this way, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, uh, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, The one thing that you and I have always needed is to have that relationship that is broken between us and God the Father, the one who has created us, the one that uh, if we look to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, or verse 10, it says, you are putting on the new self and being renewed after the, uh, in the knowledge, after the image of the one who created you, that God made us in his image and in his likeness and everything was good. But after Adam and Eve decided that they could rule their own lives and they could go their own way, they departed from that. And as sad as that ought to make us and as, as, uh, as pitiful as it is, the reality is, is that there's something terribly wrong with it. Namely that now we've made ourselves not just independent, but enemies of God. We made ourselves those who would say, I don't want to have God to rule my life. I don't want to have God's peace to rule my heart. I want to be the boss. I am a self-made man. I am the woman who should dictate where I go and where I ought to go or, or not go. And then all of a sudden, God sends a Messiah who lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross He dies as a substitute and God raises him from the dead and by belief in him, people from everywhere all over the earth for 2,000 years have been made new. And in being made new, 
We're called to have a new priority that says the peace of Christ is going to rule my heart. Now, more directly in line with where our text is, and more specifically, I think this is a reminder of what he's been talking about in regards to our unity. So it is true that we've had that big relationship breach, but it's also the case that not just uh, vertically, we also have these horizontal breaches and divisions and dissension between us. And he's saying, no, 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 not in the church, not as a new humanity. You're one new man. You're all together. The apostles were very stressed or they they would stress this very much, right? Because they understood that the unity of the church was a gospel issue. If you think, think back to the spread of the gospel, you go back to Acts chapter 10, and what you'll find is that the apostle Peter has come face to face with this when God met him in a vision and told him, I know you've been eating a, a, a kosher diet all your life, and I know that you believe certain things about the way in which you should engage with Gentiles or not, but I want you to actually go, and I want you to eat these pork ribs and pork belly burn-ins and chicharron, and I want you to enjoy some of the uh, finer things in life. And Peter says, what? There's no way in the world I'm going to eat that. You know the story, or if you don't, you can go back to Acts chapter 10, read the whole chapter. Here's what I want us to see. In verses 34 and 36, after Peter says, okay, I'm going to do what you said, God. I'm going to get up and go to Cornelius' house, and I'm going to preach the gospel to them, and I'll just, I'll, I'll be with them, and, and, and that's what, uh, we'll see what will come of it. What was the content of Peter's proclamation to Cornelius' house, a Gentile man who had not been Jewish in his upbringing? Verse 34, he says, so Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, it's preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. When Peter got these words out of his mouth, He's just saying, this is what I know. I don't know why I'm telling you guys this, but then all of a sudden, at that very moment, Cornelius is filled with the Holy Spirit and everyone in his home, and for the first time, they experience the fact that the church is a place of unity, even across every supposed distinction that would dictate a barrier. Before I seem like I'm just riding a hobby horse or I'm jumping too far, I want to read the rest of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 to make sure you understand and follow why I say that this is what I think he's really getting at. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. He just got through saying only four verses ago, even though it might be four weeks for us. He said four verses ago that Christ is all and he's in all. And he's going on further and he's saying that you've got to allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart and rule in your relationships and therefore maintain unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, right, to to which you were called in one body. Another translation says, for as members of one body, you were called to live in peace. He's called us to a place to live in that paramount place of peace that I've been given peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I have got nothing but peace for everybody, no matter where they're from or who they are, on every other lesser level. But then he says something else about that peace that I thought was funny. You'll remember just a couple months ago, we ran into this word. 
It's a, the, the word that I find today is a root word of that word. It's not the same word, but it's right where it says, let the peace of Christ rule. You remember when we talked in Colossians chapter 2, one of the things that he had told them when he said reject legalism is he said, don't let anybody disqualify you. And when we looked at that word, we saw that a person who would disqualify basically makes themselves an umpire. And so what he says here when he says rule is he uses the same root word and he basically says, let the peace of Christ play the umpire in your life. Let the peace of Christ be what decides whether or not you are right or you are wrong. Let the peace of Christ be that which decides fairness and what is just. Let it rule, let it govern, let it supersede everything else. So the fact that you've been given peace and that you have been even made a new humanity, which, it, which itself is peace, it calls you to let peace govern your actions and govern your attitudes and govern all of your affairs. This week, as a way of confession, your pastor had to be reminded of that, which I think is so good that we were even in this text. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another is where we're going after this. I think that that's all related to peace of Christ and what happens in our hearts. Here's what happened. I had multiple opportunities to, uh, to, to, to break peace, <laughs> to look for an opportunity to say, no, I'm right. That's not right. That's not just. That wasn't fair. And to give uh, an account for myself and try and justify myself. And two people, two godly individuals, first was Carlos, secondly, my wife, Carlos, Pastor Carlos, pulled me inside in the hallway. He just said, hey, man, you don't have to try to be right. You can remember that Jesus knows and pleads your case. And he's the one who will decide for you. And it was as if Carlos has been studying Colossians chapter 3 and, and looking at the fact that if the peace of Christ rules in your hearts, that means the peace of Christ is going to be the umpire of, of your life. And so then he just comes to me and just says, hey, Steve, you, you don't have to call the shots. And Jamie, in the same way, multiple times, in multiple conversations this week, giving me the gentle warnings, exhortations, and admonishments to say, peace. Let peace rule. I had to be reminded that Christ's peace stands behind me, and it stands beside me. And as I move through life, it's no different much than a baseball game, whereas if I was coming up to bat or if I'm rounding the bases... It's not my job to call me safe or to call me out because the peace of Christ has been stationed at home plate and at first base and at third base and everywhere else and all across. And there's even cameras out there that Jesus, his eyes and his peace, they have gone throughout the whole earth. And I myself don't have to defend myself. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And as you would know it, the minute that I decide that I'm going to drop my guns and I'm not going to defend myself, what happens? Peace. 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 It rules and it wins out. Here's the second priority that's been given to us. After he said you ought to let the peace of Christ rule, he says let the word, <clears throat> let the word of Christ be rich. To be rich, he's really talking about uh, being full. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwelling in you richly. The word of Christ is in you and, and it's, it's in you in rich proportions. It means that there's a fullness 
even to the overflow. The analogy that may be helpful for you is when you're washing your car or even mopping a floor, one of the ways to know that you are uh, doing that well or that you're fully engaged in it is if you have a full bucket of water. (laughs) If you got a full bucket of water, then you know that you're prepared for the task and the thing that is at hand. When he says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, What we ought to realize is that this is actually a charge. It's another command, and it's a call for us to not just think that passively the word is just going to come from anywhere, that I'm going to be able to just take little tidbits because I read a little bit of scripture when I was a child, or I I listened to these good quotes, or I like to click like on a couple memes a couple times. No, this is a call to meditate on the scripture, that in my reading of the scripture, I'm I'm going to study the scripture, and I'm going to pray the scripture. And I'm going to even seek to memorize the scripture so that it dwells in me richly. That I'm full of it and that I overflow with it. You think about that analogy of the bucket. You know, I can always tell whether or not my kids or anybody else has done their chore, if that's what it includes, is whether or not they got wet feet. (laughs) If you're carrying a full bucket out to wash the car or over between rooms to mop, the, uh, to, to, to mop, you know one way to tell that you really have been after that and it's been full to capacity and you've been working on it is that your feet are wet because it has been overflowing onto you and onto everything else. Well, here's the deal. What's the result of our new priority to let the word dwell in us richly, to read it, study it, pray it, meditate on it, memorize it. Paul says it'll be a new song. If you look back at Colossians chapter 3, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we will not be able to teach anybody We'll not be able to admonish anybody like Carlos and my wife were able to with me if we don't know what the word says. And the reality is, is that my ability to sing, to actually worship God in song, to praise his name comes from and is filled and fulfilled by my relationship to the scriptures and how it dwells in me. It's interesting that it's not just a new song, but it's, it's preaching and it is praising, right? It's, it's that I can say things and I can sing things. It's theology and it's doxology. That all comes from the word of God. And if you are thinking back to Colossians 1.28, where he had said to uh, the church, and he preaches Jesus and he warns everyone and teaches everyone with all wisdom that they might be presented mature in Christ. He said, this is the struggle that I have and, and I'm, give, I'm leaving everything on the field because I want to do this for you. Now he turns around and he says, it's not only the pastor or the preacher's job. That there's a responsibility for you also to be those who would teach and admonish one another. So teaching and admonishing is something that happens within the body of Christ. And it happens at the levels of discipleship. Disciple making is something that happens with every single member of the body, not just some hierarchical stratosphere of the person that passes something down. We all follow what's been passed down to us in the apostles' teaching. 
And the thing is, is that we're being called to be able to get into the word or get the word into us so much so that when our brother or sister is struggling, we can speak to them and with laser focus know what to say to them. Even if we haven't been in that exact text of scripture, we know because we speak this biblical language because our language has become biblical. And I said it's a new song because... In addition to teaching and admonishing one another, in all wisdom, you have singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs shouldn't be understood as three different kinds of music per se. It's just a variety, right? He's just saying in a variety of fresh and new ways. When the word is in you, your heart will overflow with these things and songs will come out. For me, when I say that it's preaching and it's praising, that it's, that it's the speaking and it's the singing and theology and the doxology. I think about uh, the, the, uh, something from church history that I've learned with John Wesley and his brother. Many people know John Wesley. Some of you may not even know who he is. He's a revivalist. He spoke to the conversion of thousands of people. But did you know that his brother Charles Wesley at one and the same time wrote about a thousand hymns? Some of the hymns that we are most familiar with, hymns like uh, And Can It Be, Christmas carols, like Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. These things came at one and the same time because they were both raised by a mother with seven children who taught them the word of God faithfully. The word of God got into them at young ages. And as God would use them, it would go all over their Uh, their space and every time they had opportunity and they were preaching the word and they were praising the Lord. They were preaching the word and they were praising the Lord. It was theology and there was doxology, teaching and admonishing, singing. They go hand in hand. And it happens when we fill our hearts or we fill our minds with the word of God. When the word is rich, And when the word is flowing, there's always somebody else that comes behind it with a flow of their own. That's why I love just thinking about the fact that whenever the gospel's going forward or whatever the spirit is moving and things are happening, what we end up finding time and time again is that God raises up a psalmist. And he uses them right alongside the preaching and the serving and the the giving to the poor. God uses these things to invigorate the church because there's this new priority that the word of Christ, the gospel, the Bible, the scriptures, the story of redemption is so treasured among the people that we've got to burst out in doxology and song. I've got to burst out and, and describe to others who God is and how great he is because I've come to know him through his word. Before I move on to the last point, I want to describe just something that is, uh, I don't, we always want to get into it. In verse 15 and in verse 16, he says, your heart your hearts. And then he says, you, dwell in you richly. These are personal pronouns in the plural. And sometimes those things can get lost so that we can kind of weasel ourselves out of responsibility. Oh, the commandments are coming. He must be talking to them. <laughs> oh, he's saying you got to teach and admonish and sing. Oh, I don't like to sing. Must be talking to the other person. 
And it's just very important that we get back to the original language and we find ourselves to see, oh, no, he's talking about everyone and he's still talking about togetherness because he's still talking about one new man, the humanity, and it's one society. And so this is to all of us. You know, in my, in my neighborhood and where I come from, there's no, it's not hard to uh, describe this. We have a word for plural personal pronoun you. It's y'all. <laughs> it's not you. It's not you guys. It's y'all. <laughs> this is... Paul saying, y'all, let the word dwell richly in y'all. Let, uh, let the, the peace of Christ rule y'all's hearts. This is another one of the calls that Paul is reminding us about our new life together. We have new priorities because we're a new society and it's all togetherness. There's oneness and there's no such thing, again, as that Lone Ranger individual Christian. As we covered that, let's go on to our third point. Let the name of Christ be represented. You probably have already seen it. Verse number 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Texts like this, they never, ex- uh, you know, cease to escape my amazement. It's just, uh, or amusement, really. I think it's funny that it's like God knows our hearts. And he knows the kind of people that we are, that we would excuse ourselves and say somebody else. And we also would try to say like, oh, well, it only said that, but it didn't say this. Now he comes and he puts an umbrella over it all. And he says, I want you in whatever you do, whether that be a word or a deed, whether that be something that you say or something that you do, whether it be an attitude or an action, whatever you do. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. When he has to speak like this, it's him saying, this is not an exhaustive list, but your new life in Christ is exhaustive. It includes everything. It's all inclusive. And so no matter what you're doing, even when you think that it's just something small, the way in which you manage your checkbook, the way in which you uh, go about your dating affairs, the way in which you decide what you're going to study, what homework you're going to do and what homework you're not going to do, the way in which you decide how you're going to engage in the workplace, no matter what you do. And friends, no matter what you say, make sure you do so in a manner that represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it all in his name. Say it all in his name. That's an interesting thing. And sometimes commands like that can be very difficult. I think about my children. I'm a parent. And I often think about these things in that context because God is my father and I'm one of his sons. And Jesus was his son. So it's just the family is all over the text all the time. And I think about the fact that I'm always saying to them, remember who you are and whose you are. And they're always asking, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything other than when you go out, you represent the Rosses. And you know what? You don't really belong to your mother and I, you belong to God. You represent him. Whatever you're doing, whatever other people are doing, wherever you're going, the things that you're saying, the things that you're texting, the things that you are DMing, do it in a manner that represents the Lord Jesus Christ. We represent him. 
We ought to move and breathe with the occasion of Christ's name being preached and represented before others on our mind. Now, all three of these commands, yet again, get tied together by something that Paul's been driving home the whole time. Hopefully you didn't let me off the hook and you caught it before I've even said it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. After he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and sing songs, he says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then now we come down And he's telling us to represent the Lord. And he says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The reason why I struggled to call this new priorities is because there's that new priority of thanksgiving. That thanksgiving and an attitude of gratitude for the gospel it's not even just a plain old thanks. I mean, yes, but first, first thing he said is be thankful. But then he took it further. He says, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then he goes further. No, give thanks to God the Father through him, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, when you think about that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 passage where I said that any man is in a Christ, he's a new creation. He would go on to say that all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's good news. That's good news because you and I did have a broken relationship with him and you and I have been those who would just go our own way. Our hearts are truly darkened and we did not even care about that. But God... God loves us so much that he would send his only begotten son to the earth to live and to die and even raise him from the dead for our reconciliation with him. That God reconciles us. He justifies us and he brings us back to the place that he created us to be as a new creation. Now we can begin to experience better what it means to be in fellowship with God. Maybe you've been disconnected from God for some time. Maybe that does not bother you or it has not as of yet. But then you look around you and you see broken relationships. You see abandonment. You see rejection. You even are experiencing today because of the social distancing and the shelter in place, loneliness. And it's as if God is saying, I know that you're lonely. I know that you have beef with me. I know that you have taken issue with who I am as the Lord of all and your creator and that you want to do your own thing and therefore have trespassed over all of my sins. I've told you not to lie and you're a liar. I've told you not to cheat and you cheat. I've I've told you not to be immoral and you allow your lust to lead you into all kinds of impurity and immorality. But you know what? I love you. And so I sent my son to die and to take on all of that sin to bring you back into the right place, the right relationship and the right spot with me. Paul would go on and say, 
We're so grateful for this. Our hearts are so thankful for this that we now are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom and I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. And the first thing that that is going to, the first way that you're going to know that that change is taking place in your life is that you turn away from your sin, turn away from the things that so easily, you know, just entice you and they lead you further and further and further away from him. And you will repent of those. Make a 180 degree turn back toward the Lord. And that in doing so, you wouldn't say, God, I'm going to fix my life up. You say, God, I'm so thankful that Jesus gave his life up. And I put my faith in him. It's him that I trust. God will save you. God will change you. You can walk out of your bedroom right now, close your laptop, and somebody in your household may be able to say, what happened to you? Because if anybody, any man or woman is in Christ... He's a new creation. And behold, all the old things pass away and the new has come. The second thing that will happen to you and that priority that for those of us who have had that experience is that Thanksgiving all of a sudden is a big deal. My family could tell you that in my household, Thanksgiving crowds out everything for about a week. It's about two or three days. I'm dealing with the turkey. Y'all going to have to feed yourselves. I don't know where you're going to get your food from, but we're going to smoke this turkey on Thursday. So Monday and Tuesday, we got it in the fridge, and, you know, I got it in this big drum. I've taken drawers out of the refrigerator to make sure my drum fits there, and we're brining it. I got orange slices and all spice and all kinds of stuff in there. Just I want to make sure it's good. Then I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to set it in back in the, in the fridge so that the skin can get crispy. I'm going to leave that there for a day. And then I'm going to put it on my smoker and put it on my smoker for six to eight hours. I mean, Thanksgiving is a big deal and it crowds everything out. I got a daughter with a birthday that's November 21st. (laughs) And she's like, Dad, can we at least order a pizza? (laughs) The reality is, is that Thanksgiving, in a real way, will lead you to make the kinds of decisions that says, hey, You know, you come to my house and for two, three days, we're working on Thanksgiving dinner. And for two, three days after, we still having Thanksgiving dinner. When you think about Thanksgiving in the context of how grateful we ought to be for the gospel, it crowds everything else out. I cannot be the kind of person who would be sexually immoral. The passionate evil desires still rule my life. I'm covetousness. I'm idolizing other gods and going and worshiping after other things. I'm divided against brothers and sisters because of their culture or their ethnicity. No, I'm so grateful for the gospel. I have so much thanksgiving in my heart that the thing that I've been called to do, these new priorities, really, they just are a part of me because thank you, Jesus. You saved a sinner like me. What God is calling us to, friends, is closeness and togetherness that witnesses to a lost and an isolated and a fractured and a broken and a divided world. He wants us to let his peace drive us to the place where everything we do is about the unity of the church. 
It's about seeing people come together and work out every kind of a difference that there could ever be because it just rules y'all. Peace rules y'all. He wants us to see or he wants us to have a priority that the word of Christ dwells and it fills and it overflows from our hearts so richly that y'all teaching each other and y'all always want to stop each other in the hallway and say, hey, you need to fall back, man. Don't you realize Christ, Jesus, he's just and a justifier. That y'all all of a sudden want to always sing and you sing new songs and new hymns. And he said, everything y'all do represents Christ. People will see that. And for that reason, people will continue to investigate the good news about Jesus Christ. And many come to him for the first time because they've heard it, but now they get to see it. It's been lips, and now they see lives. It's been declared to them, now it's demonstrated. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Lord, I genuinely am thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have seen it so much in my brothers and my sisters at Arise that they too are just overflowing with thanksgiving. Lord, would you call us to rehearse the gospel more and more and to experience the fullness that it gives to us as it just crowds out earthly concerns and keeps us laser focused on your mission. Make us more thankful, God. Give us more opportunities to express our gratitude. Father, we want to witness to your, your pursuant love that just says, I'm gonna chase down anyone from everywhere. We wanna demonstrate that by, by the way that we try and preserve our unity, the way in which we teach and admonish and sing to one another, and even the way that just everything we do, Lord, we wanna see that the Lord Jesus' name is represented. Would you help us? Spirit, continue to go before us. Equip us and empower us. Fill us for your glory, God. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.